You're listening to the Rancho Cordova podcast brought to you by the Rancho Cordova Film Office. My name is Charles Lego and I'm your host. In June of last year, here at the Film Office, we organized and presented the California Capital Documentary Film Festival. It was our first year, and all in all, the festival went off without a hitch. Well, maybe a hitch or two, but it was enjoyed by all who attended. We presented around 60 documentary films over three days, and we certainly learned some lessons along the way. Well, the time has now come for the second annual California Capital International Documentary Film Festival, which this year will take place on Saturday, September 30th and Sunday, October 1st. We will screen over 50 films at three screening locations. Two of the screening locations will be at Roger Cordova City Hall. Yes, we turn City Hall into a movie theater. And the third at Calcat Black Box Theater, which is right next door to our offices here in Rancho Cordova. We're very excited about the films selected this year, and amongst them are 23 films from 23 different countries around the world, so truly an international film festival. Over the next six weeks or so leading up to the festival, we will be presenting a series of shows every Friday that will feature two of the documentaries we are showing. We will talk with the filmmakers about their films and how they made them. The hosts for this series of shows will be two of the young guys who work with me here at the film office, Daniel Aniceto and Rafael Portillo. Both are avid filmmakers and understand the process of making films. So who better to speak with these filmmakers? I think you'll find these podcasts interesting and informative. If you'd like to find out more about the Documentary Film Festival, please visit the website at www.calcapdocfest.org. That's www.calcapdocfest.org. There you will find information on all the films we are screening, the screening schedule, and you can even view the trailers. You can find information on the screening locations and take a look at the various packages we have as far as getting tickets, which have, we have purposely kept very low and affordable. So there you have it, folks. Please sit back and be inspired by this week's interviews with our documentary filmmakers. I hope you enjoy this show, and we hope to see you at the upcoming California Capital International Documentary Film Festival. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Daniel Aniceto, and I'm here with the California Capital International Documentary Film Festival. Welcome to the new season of Cal Cap Doc Talks, where we talk to the people involved in the making of the documentary selected for this year's annual film festival, taking place in September 30th to October 1st. Thank you so much for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Bicycle Island at Dona Nocieva. Mitra, what is it about? Well, thank you so much for having me, Daniel. And um, it sort of evolved as we went along, but basically um, many different portraits of bicycle users in Havana combined to create a mosaic of uh, bicycle history and culture on island and create sort of a future speculative um, sort of push for what the bicycle could be used for on the island in addition to its past and present uses. 
And, and like, what made you want to approach this topic to begin with? Because like Cuba is so rich with culture and its own different, you know, specific types. But why the bicycle specifically? Yeah, I feel inspired in Cuba every day. I am not Cuban. Um, I'm American, Iranian American. And okay. I first went to Cuba in 2016 to study at the University of Havana. And I picked up a bicycle pretty soon into my um, time there. And it became my mode of transportation, but also a big part of my life and social life. And I also was working with a bunch of artists on a community initiative and doing youth workshops. So this film was my way to sort of combine all of my worlds and all of my um, interests and really be able to create something beautiful together um, and create a platform um, that was both collaborative and uh, synthesizing everyone's individual skills and strengths and beauty into kind of a, a social dialogue around this tool that could really be used, um, you know, with, with all of its difficulties and um, issues with access and, um, you know, things that people face every day. People are really using the bicycle as a social tool to um, have agency and mobility and create community. So I was really grateful to be a part of it. No, yeah, for real, it's because I noticed that, like, the difference between here in the States and you know, over there in Cuba is that, you know, like, theoretically speaking, as kids, we, we grow up and ride bicycles to our school, to the park, to our friend's house. And as we get older, our mode of transportation became the car, a car that has, like, can cover us from the elements, you know, comfy seats, ace, cold AC on those long summer um, car rides. But... Over there in Cuba, it's always like it seems to be still the bicycle, you know, the bicycle that like exposes you to these elements and there's no such protection, you know. And that's what I really like enjoy because you were like you showed it how it how it is. And what I also thought that was interesting style wise is that, you know, when you go out to different cultures and shoot there, it is a type of a norm to put like music in the background of their culture. Right. But what I really liked about yours is that even though you put music of their culture, it was literally music made out of bicycle parts. Like, what was the story behind that? Yeah, thank you so much. I was really excited to start with the music. And um, that was basically the first conversation I had was with a couple of these friends that are incredible musicians, as you see in the film. And they're in a bunch of different groups, a bunch of different um, musical groups, but they've been... Um, gathering in this ensemble, um, Ensemble Interactivo de la Habana, which is an improv group. And I proposed to them this idea of creating music with a bicycle. I had tried myself, but I'm not a musician. So they... Ah, next time, next time. Yeah. And we created some uh, musical instruments out of bicycle parts. Uh, we used a fork to make um, a chord instrument. And we used a couple of different bike pumps to experiment. We used rims and just played around with what sounds we could make. Um, and I really loved the idea of having all hands on deck, everyone playing the bicycle mm. and especially using the classic forever bicycle from the nineties, this Chinese, uh, sort of symbol of the special period in Havana. Um, and that was the bicycle that was distributed throughout the Island, um, in the nineties over 1.2 million, um, the government distributed across workplaces and educational spaces. Um, so Cubans my generation um, grew up right. on um, and so that was really important to us as well and I liked the idea of um, 
sort of the flow of production working off of the the music and so we did a rehearsal and we did a live performance and I used both of those to really drive the edit and to be able to visually create that flow and uh, rhythm off of the music that was created that day so um, yeah. that was a really exciting part for me too. Yeah, it was good because like it really set the tone. Like, like I liked how like every edit, like just a little boop, and then like a different cut, and then another boop, and then a different cut, a different cut. Like it really went with the rhythm. But speaking about the people, wh- where did you find? Because I found like the people you interviewed was so interesting. Like there was a, a puppeteer, and then there's a cyclist. And w- w- where did you find these people? Yeah, yeah, everyone is. Um so beautiful and and so inspirational and really was motivating me throughout every second of the edit and definitely what you're describing I feel like I kind of um lost track of time in the edit trying to get those exact cuts (laughs) to to the perfectionist side of me but I um started with friends um many people featured in the film I've known basically um my whole time that I've been in Cuba so um, Naldo, the older gentleman who is a musician and was ta- is, was sewing Awakwa costumes, um, he's someone who I took a picture of, um, his hand on an older bicycle, a bicycle that was rusted, and I wanted to include him no matter what because I had that image from six years ago of him and his bicycle. Um, but when I went to him, he was like, Oye, que dice, ya no monto la bici, like, que va? <laughs> Basically, he said, what are you talking about? I don't ride the bicycle anymore. Like, oh, okay. No way. <laughs> and, um, and so I thought that was really interesting to represent that generation um, that grew basically through all of the, um, through all of the efforts to use the bicycle during the 90s, um, mm. sort of a needs-based effort. Um, there was a rejection of the bicycle after that once public transportation Mm. was restored, once petroleum was restored. Um, So many of the people who are like 30 and above in Cuba um, have this disdain or just don't have a desire to ride a bicycle because it has such a negative affiliation to that economic crisis. And not just because of the sun and the heat and the distances that they had to go just to get to work every day and three, four people on one bicycle, but also, lack of food <laughs> like it was this, uh, a time of scarcity in many extremes and so the bicycle became sort of a symbol of the the 90s but back to your question um sorry i think the collaborators in the film um are either friends or friends of friends that became friends and that was a really yeah, exciting part of the whole thing and um i got to know damian the paralympic cyclist off of a mm. couple of mechanic friends who recommended i talked to him um, I've been in contact with many of those people over the years, but it was really the network. And that was okay. what I wanted to share as well, is how tight of a community it is and how different uses are. And also each person is from a different part of Havana. And I wanted to show that range um, of urban space as well. But the important thing is really that um, the bicycle does have this camaraderie and this solidarity and, and is sort of a connecting force. And like you now working with these uh with the Cubans and sharing their story, but how was it overall just filming in Cuba? Because I I've seen experiences from like when you go out and record with a, a quote unquote nice camera out in the streets, for example in Peru or Colombia, and they'd be like, hide your camera, hide your camera, because they're gonna steal it. How, how was that experience in Cuba? Was it the same? Was it different? Yeah, sure. Um, I I usually feel pretty safe 
in Cuba, especially, um, I think it's probably the safest city in the world, <laughs> relatively, but there is petty theft. And mm. I, I did have like a big sigh of relief every time I got back to my apartment with my memory card in hand and, you know, after a good day shooting. Um, I chose to use my personal camera, which is a Panasonic, Panasonic SLR. It's like a very, very mm. small compact yeah. digital camera um, because of the because of the subject and also because of mobility and ease. Um, and I used like a $10 Amazon tripod, <laughs> which wasn't the best. <laughs> I mean, the shots were stable. Thanks, yeah. Some of them weren't, <laughs> I had to be selective. Um, but basically I used my bicycle as my transportation and as a tool for production as well. So a lot of the shots that are in movement are from a GoPro 10. And then um, the interviews and others of the still shots are from this um, very small digital camera on a kind of crappy uh, tripod and um, not the best uh, mics as well. But it was a it mm. felt fitting for the subject matter and for location and just the ease of getting around and keeping up with like a Paralympic cyclist as he biked. I was like, I didn't really have time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it definitely fit this project. Um, and hopefully the quality still seems okay, but it was mostly a one person production anyway. So with that comes some challenges, um, but I was able in that sense to keep it very under the radar and never, I, I always get interrogated when I'm entering Cuba. They like are always wondering what, what I'm doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but after that, I, I never got questioned and um, was only shooting in public places. So right. didn't have any yeah, I feel like your comment regarding quality, I, I do agree that quality is important, but I feel like what's more that outweighs quality is the story. It's the heart. And I feel like you did a, a well job at explaining, like, I want to go to Cuba now and I want to like, like, I just want to experience it how it, how it really is. Because, you know, like in film and Hollywood big pictures, they portray something the way they want to see it. But I feel like you portrayed the way it was that like how it really is. You shot like it was extremely raw. And regarding the bicycles, do you own the bicycle yourself? Was it made, was it, you bought it here in the U.S.? Um, so I've had many, <laughs> I have many bicycles. Okay. Um, but the bicycle that I was riding um, during production, I had taken down three or four years prior. It was a used specialized uh, hardtail that, I paid a hundred bucks for and took down for free. Mm. And then I'd always leave it with friends when I left the island. Um, and I actually, I gave that to Susana to the animal rescuer. Um, oh, okay. I gave her my bike at the end of production because um, her bike was her daughter's. She had bought it for her daughter and it didn't fit her and it was falling apart. Uh. Um, but I try to take down as many bike parts and I've only taken down one bike, but ideally every time I go to Cuba, I would take a bike. Yeah, because uh, I was asking. Yeah, because I was asking because like, what is like the main difference between a Cuban bike and a bike made in the U.S.? Mm. So the government has imported um, a couple rounds of bicycles, um, some Russian bikes like from the 50s, um, mm. some Chinese bikes from the 90s. And then um, they just imported 6,000 more bikes that went to the factory in Santa Clara um, oh. that were distributed to university students mostly. And they're kind of clunky um, aluminum. They're not, or steel often. Um, so they're not often the, the easiest to ride. 
the bikes from the 90s, the forever bicycles, as they're called, they're the flying pigeons, are really difficult to ride. They're very heavy. <laughs> they're very slow. And so when a Cuban describes going like 10, 15 miles a day sometimes, um, that's a lot more work than yeah. uh, many people are used to on, on their uh, lighter, smoother bikes. So not all bikes are created equal and they're still all nice for mobility's sake, but um, I rode the forever bicycle to the performance space and it was only mm. about two miles and I was like sweating. So it was so exhausting to <laughs> ride it just a short distance um, versus the ease of, of other bicycles. And I yeah. appreciate what you mean also about the landscape and, and that was something I was really trying to navigate is not romanticizing Havana um, and the Cuban landscape and also having it be um, a fair representation of people and of the spaces and of the um, the social landscape. So thank you. Yeah, it, it really goes to show like, obviously when you go to a different country, different culture, they have like their own different unique stuff. But you think that like a bicycle, like in my head before this, I thought a bicycle was like the same everywhere. You know, it's the two wheels, a little ring ring, and that's all. But in Cuba, it's like a whole different, like, hist a rich history of process of making those bicycles and actually seeing the the cyclist uh, and you, like, trying, you know, catching up, getting that, you know, nice stable shot of the cyclist going down. And regarding that, did you have, like, any challenges? Because I know you mentioned the tripod, which is a little iffy, but, we, you know, it happens to the best of us. But did you have any other, like, challenges, whether it be filming or just yourself that you're going through? Any challenges you want to talk of? Sure. Um... Well, there's a few different directions I could go in, but I honestly was so relieved and grateful that it went really smoothly throughout. Um, and that was largely due to other people's um, excitement and um, charisma and just like um, being open to being a part of this project and really giving, um, gifting their time. And I was able to pay all collaborators and that's most of the funding I did was to pay collaborators on screen. Um, but it was very low budget. Um, so that meant that there were some limitations in production. Um, I had a couple friends help with sound or with a second camera one day um, or a couple days, but largely there are many sort of um, limitations to working alone. And I think the biggest challenge for me was what you were talking about as far as representation. And that was um, at the forefront of my mind throughout filming and throughout the edit and of course mm -hmm. before and after the project um right. i'm always very concerned with documentary ethics and with uh, my role as a decision maker um, but also a facilitator and someone who wants it to be very collaborative um, but there's this tension of also self-censorship sometimes with cuban media and i worked for three years as an english editor for Prensa Latina, a Cuban news agency. Wow. So I, I had an idea of what that looks like. I um, had various articles rejected for using a word that wasn't allowed or covering a concept that was too risque. Um, so that's something that was at the forefront of the editing process is even if one person was um, vocal and okay with how they were representing something that doesn't necessarily mean that another collaborator would want to be associated to that claim or would be potentially worried about having their name um, associated. So that's something that um, was a bit complicated. 
Um, and I wanted to make sure everyone felt safe and comfortable and also try to represent things as um, honest and also um, expressive as possible. So some of the symbols and some, there's some like nuanced subtleties that maybe a Cuban audience would pick up more mm. or an audience that knows Cuba well. But for the most part, um, it was so much more about people's initiative and energy and beauty and strength and you know um, resilience and all of those things that um, skirt difficult topics, but also can be focused on the human effort rather than um, getting too in the weeds uh, with the political. Right. But in that sense, it's also really important for me to represent the U.S. embargo and the role it's had in mm. Cuba as an American citizen and as someone who can try to help, uh, right. hopefully influence that policy. No, I, I feel like just shedding light on this subject matter like just helps a lot, you know, through the through the medium of film. Because prior to this, I didn't even know that like there's a lot of like you know rules and politics that went you know into this um, culture. And I used to finish this off. Uh, I used to, you ought to be proud of not only the film that you made but also that the message you managed to convey to us. Uh, Mitra, it's been a great pleasure getting to know you, not only you, but also the heart of the film, Bicycle Island, Atonde Nocieva. But if you could translate, what does Atonde Nocieva mean, please? Yeah, I so Atonde Nocieva can mean where it takes us or where it leads us. And it's a line that the puppeteer says. Um, mm. And I, and I liked that it's ambiguous and I liked not doing a direct translation, but kind of having the two parts, the sort of um, bilingual title. So uh, it's sort of a play on, on the expression and also it's not totally translatable. It's an expression in Spanish that can mean a myriad of things. and Man, Yeah, many things, yeah. Oh, Mitra, thank you so much for coming along. I, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Daniela. I'm happy to be a part of everything. Thank you. Well, guys, that's all the time we have left. I'm your co-host, Daniela Niceto, and thank you so much for tuning in. Please visit our website, RanchoCordovaPodcast.org. Once again, thank you so much, and take care. <laughs>